Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on Twip, Canon gets into the oil business and Aperture Mapature. Also, guest Sarah France talks about how photographers should establish a social media footprint. All that and much more coming up next on episode number 90 of This Week in Photography. Welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photography. Today on the show, we've got Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. Hey, what, what show am I on here? I, I, I haven't been here for so long. I know. <laughs> I know. We were we were feeling a little forsaken because you didn't grace us with your <laughs> your your red you know robe and and scepter. I don't. I don't think you even have a excuse <laughs> like having been in, in Africa or anything. No, it, it's actually it was just scheduling issues. It was it, it was actually quote quote unquote scheduling issues. That means uh, well, I, I would feel like doing I the was, show. I would just like to point out that I was here every Friday at 10 a.m. It was just sometimes the show wasn't here. Oh, <laughs> you're a time traveler. <laughs> no, I was here. You know, the show's been moved around a little bit to make sure that every, we, get, we could get as many people on as possible. And I was the odd man out on two or three of those occasions. So That, tra- that translates to the world revolves around me. The world just wasn't in the right place position for us and to i be couldn't there. be bothered i couldn't be bothered but i'm really really glad to come back awesome i'm, I'm back i missed i missed twip i was like oh, i can't believe it's been so long so yeah you need your twip fix yes exactly and that other voice we heard was mr ron brinkman hey ron is indeed hi everybody uh so we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today so i think we should just jump right into it but before we do that alex Twip. We just want to we want to thank our friends at Squarespace for sponsoring Twip. Uh, Squarespace.com, the fast, easy way to publish a high quality website or blog. For a free trial and ten percent off your new account, go to squarespace.com/twip. That's the important part. Squarespace.com/twip. Offer code is twip. T W I P. Thanks. Absolutely. And in the news today, there's a lot of Canon news coming up. Canon's offering free cleaning of oil spots on the uh, the 1D Mark III and the uh, 1DS Mark III, the sensor filter. Now, I didn't know this was a problem. Did you guys know that, that, that oil spots flying around no, inside I, the camera? I, I, I Evidently, there's, there's a cross-promotion going on with Pennzoil, I hear. <laughs> yeah. I just have this it's part of the whole of Save like the, the Planet movement. I have this vision. Yeah, go ahead, Ron. I was just going to say the same thing. I have this vision of like the inside of an engine where there's uh, oil spewing everywhere as the shutter kind of moves like a piston up and down. I don't know that I would <laughs> I have positioned have... it as cleaning oil spots. I, maybe just we have a free program to clean your camera. You know, just bring it in and we'll we'll make sure that it's in perfect operating condition. I don't know that I would I, I, I would have pointed I, I, at the oil. I just... <laughs> I just had this big, I, I, the same way with Ron. I just had this vision of this of this camera turned down and over one of those little things where the guy can walk you know the, down in the, under the ground and you see this like guy with a shop with a little broom and squeegee. Put it up on the left. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah we're gonna handle that oil spot for you. It'll take you about twenty minutes. Exactly. Uh, so why don't you go in there and get some coffee and uh, read a magazine? 
Yeah, and part of the article says owners that uh, I guess large spots may appear on the low pass filter over the sensor as a result of lubricant oil splashing from the mirror mechanism. I don't want the word splashing anywhere inside my camera body. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, splashing, vibrate, you know, nothing. You know, it's precision electronics and mechanicals in there. Yeah. A little uh, scary. Yeah, it is a little scary. But at least they are supporting it, and they are taking care of it if it becomes an issue so i'll give them and, credit and to be that. honest at least they're, they're, they're being straight they're telling you why they're not just saying send your camera in we're going to make some upgrades uh they're telling you exactly what it is so bravo to canon for uh telling us exactly what's going on yes transparency is and, good and and, yes. and i suspect you could probably just get a free cleaning out of this you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah all you whiners out there and hypochondriacs just <laughs> send your camera in for a free cleaning so, yeah, exactly. all right, Alex, this this just brings something up in my mind, uh, which has been going on for, what, a year, 18 months now at least. Huh. The camera that you allegedly are planning on buying, did you buy it yet? No, no I haven't bought anything yet. <laughs> you haven't bought anything yet. But you're not going on any trips anytime soon, though, are you? No, but I might, there is a deadline. I, I have a deadline. Uh, we're expecting another baby in, uh, at the, in uh, July. And um, so by June 15th, uh, you can mark that. By June 15th, I'll have a new camera. June 15th. Oh. I can get it. Get rag, you know, I got a month to figure this out. But I, I, you know, with the new baby comes a new camera. And, uh, and so I, you know, I have to be prepared for, uh, for uh, the, um, the, the few minutes, the f- moments afterwards. I'm leaning, I have to admit, I'm leaning heavily towards the Canon 5D at the moment because I, uh, I just decided I really want the video. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, it's just a matter of um, you know figuring that out. I, I um, saw some video from the GH1 and wasn't so sure that's exactly what I want yet. And uh, and I the rumors are I'm I'm kind of waiting to see if the rumors continue to swirl around the uh, firmware update related to Canon. Yeah. And whether we're actually see uh, 24p and more more importantly the 30p I could live with actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 20 what I can't live with is the not having control over the aperture. So it's been you know, a, it's having, been a couple you know. of weeks. It's been a well, it's been a while since we cracked the seal and had a heated discussion on that whole video versus still and the convergence stuff. Just taking a, a quick sample of where your mind is right now, Alex. How do you feel about that? I mean, are you, are, I know you're far left and on the, the pro video side. I definitely landed. Go I definitely landed that I won't buy a camera that doesn't shoot video. So that's wow. that's why I'm probably not. The D700 or the D3X um, or the D3 uh, is mostly that I'm just, I, I really, we, uh, uh, Marcel here in the office, uh, he's visiting us from Brazil and, and uh, he bought a Rebel. And just playing with that video was enough for me to really get clear that uh, I'm just not willing to buy another camera that doesn't shoot video. Um, and so that, I, I, that kind of uh, yeah, ended it for me. <laughs> yeah, so here's, here's, here's the question, Alex. Here's the question. So you are uh, talking about a once-in-a-lifetime event, obviously. So you're going to be in the delivery room with camera. That's what you're saying. So are you going to be yep. shooting? You can't do both. So are you shooting stills or video? Oh, I'll probably shoot a little bit of both. Yeah. You, you'd be surprised at how much I shoot when I shot. When I shot there, I mean, it's, you have an hour. You know. You know, uh, in the delivery room. I mean, it's not. Uh, I don't shoot like you know the delivery itself. <laughs> right. <laughs> my my <Okay>. work. <laughs> My work is, I do support. I do support work for for uh, for the misses, you know, during that point point in time, and uh, and then uh, once once the baby's out, within minutes, uh, within uh, you know, I think it was thirty seconds to a minute after Malachi uh, exited or entered, uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, I was shooting <laughs> photos 
and uh, and then I have like an hour to shoot, so it'll be a mixture of you know still I probably shot 150 photos in that first hour. Wow. Uh, yeah. While uh, you well, did you start shooting while the uh, uh, USB cable was still attached? To, to you know, I, you know it was actually <laughs> it was actually right after the USB cable was cut. Okay, you know, so, so the, yeah, the, uh, so uh, I started shooting then, and, and and I have to say that for those of you listening, uh, you know, there is you really if you're expecting a, a baby, uh, you really need to get just get an inexpensive SLR and a fast fifty, and uh, it really is. It, they should literally, given how much money you spend on a birth, they should just give it to the father. Like literally, that should just be part of being at the hospital. You know, you're going to give us twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand dollars, and we're going to give you a five hundred dollar camera. That's just part of the package, you know, um, because it really does uh, make a huge difference. It's just um, those nice, those nice little. I get a lot of requests, and you know, for those. And so, um, so anyway, so it's it's. Uh, I, I'm definitely leaning, as I said, towards the five D. One of the things that we want to use with the five D is we really. I, I also want to be able to have a great behind the scenes camera that I can shoot video and interviews uh, yeah. when I'm on on film sets. You know, a lot of what I wanted was just not, I found that when I was in Japan, I was carrying around a couple too many cameras and, you know, to be able to shoot, to be able to go both directions. And so, so what I really want is just one camera that I can, I can sit people down and shoot a great looking interview and then go back to shooting behind the scenes stills while we're working on, on uh, movies. Um, and, and I just really felt like there's no way for me to do that with um, a still only camera. It means I have to have another camera and that camera is not going to look anywhere near you know, the kind of footage that I'm going to be able to get for interviews, especially if you can imagine a person sitting there in front of the set, but the set's a little soft and the person's sitting there and it looks pretty. And, you know, all that stuff is really easy to do with a, um, you know, with an SLR that has video. And, I, and, and the, the reality is I don't think there's going to be an SLR that ships without video uh, within 18 months. You think so? So you think this is, a, this, is a, this is now a standard feature on SLRs going forward? Yeah, when you look at the amount of pressure that's being put on Canon over... When you, when you see Canon showing F SLRs at NAB, yeah. uh, I know that Canon's not going to release another. I don't think they're going to. They may release maybe some of their upper-end, you know, what they call the higher-end cameras. But I think, that, I think they're going to find that there's a lot of pressure. I talked to uh, a lot of photographers, um, you know, at NAB that were their photographers at NAB uh, because uh, whether they're photojournalists or they um, – or I talked to one that was uh, shooting – um, doing combat photography mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, a couple other that are doing journal- photojournalism and all of them have pressure to do both. Yeah. You know, it's not it wasn't it wasn't any. I mean, every one of them was just talking about the fact that the market is moving. Where while you're while while we after we paid for you to go to Uganda to cover X Y and Z for you know as a photo shoot, mm-hmm. um, you know since the money's already dropped, we'd like you to shoot some video too. Yeah, that's what Steve was saying too. And really, all it takes is one or two photographers to break the seal and put the blood in the water for the editors, right? So now, yeah, once now they, they it, want it, oh, you know. Especially as you look at what what's happening with these magazines, where they're putting the video on the video. The video is a great value add that that brings people, magazine readers, back to the website. You know, that's the thing you can't get that in the magazine. You know, there's not. You know, you're not like they're pulling something back. You just can't put it in the magazine right now. And especially uh, one interesting conversation that I had with uh, a photojournalist at NAB was that the fact that all these when they when they <clears throat> what he's he was looking at was when, as all these newspapers and magazines, more and more of them become digital only, the pressure is going to be much higher from his point of view yeah. uh, to shoot video because now that is all part of it. It's not, that's the medium. The medium wants to have both video and stills. Uh, and so, so he's just preparing for that. But I think that, you know, I know that people feel like we're banging them over the head and this is a photography show, uh, but I think it's important for us to t- bring this stuff every once in a while. Yeah. 
yeah. and make sure it's really clear to people who are photographers. If this is your business, you have to pay attention to video. You have to pay attention to uh, you know the, this process because it is it's coming full tilt, and it's going to be you know a, a top tier photographer who is as good as you know I mean, who is you know uh, a singularity in their given area. We'll never have to worry about what the market is doing. Yeah, I think you know, there's a new skill set that's that's going to need to pop up. It's somewhere between accomplished storytelling videographer who's a master at spinning Final Cut Pro on its head, and you know the still photographer who can you know who used to weave images out of nothing in the darkroom. Somewhere in between there is this new skill set. I think where you don't need to. I don't think a still photographer needs to go and be the guy that can edit Lord of the Rings, but you need to be able to do something and put something together. So and just know, and just yeah, know how I to make it a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say. I think yeah. Bottom line is that you you know it's. It's not going, like you said, the, the high-end photographer isn't going to have to relearn everything. You know, the really mm-hmm. experienced guy that knows how to take a single still frame that conveys a story, I think is going to do fine. But, uh, right. you know, there is that sort of mid-range, the, the middle of the bell curve where, yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure to be able to do both. And like you said, I think you, you phrase it exactly right, that be aware of it, if nothing else. Yeah. Well, and, and I said, if you're getting into the market or you're trying to figure out how you expand, you know, and, and you're not at that top tier, uh, you, you're going to, you, you really, that's when you need to be very serious about it, you know, it, it, and so, um, so anyway. So yeah, I think it's the, it's the same thing as, as when Photoshop came on the scene, right? You know, any good photographer these days at least understands what Photoshop can do, even if they're not the person that's sitting there doing the actual Photoshop work. And that's as much as anything right. is knowing what sort of possibilities there are and then the, the rest of it may be done by somebody else. Yep. Well, let's yep. take a quick pause there. And Alex, you want to tell us about the? Uh, we have another sponsor on this show. It's actually the same sponsor. It's the we same one. Thinking, uh, they love us. Squarespace. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, we 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 love, we love Squarespace. Um, you know, now the thing that people should know is that when you you see Squarespace all the time, if you're going to twiplog.com, so twiplog.com, uh, which is our the support site for the show, is actually done in Squarespace. And you know, I, I've been getting twitters. People asking me, uh, so how much of that is custom code? How much of that is Squarespace? Ninety-five percent of it is is Squarespace. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, it's Aaron and I sitting there pushing back and forth. The the um, the banner or the um, the the uh, little photos on the side, mm-hmm. and also the the poll. Those things are, are those are just cut and paste in. So they're they're fairly basic um, as far as dropped in. But outside of that, everything else is all. Uh, Squarespace, it's so easy to use. I mean, it's just a great UI. Um, We're moving almost, we're just moving huge chunks of uh, of our websites. Um, I'm in the midst of building my own blog and finishing it up now. It's almost to the surface. Very cool. And uh, but but we're looking at moving our commercial sites over, uh, as well as other support sites. Um, Really, you know, one of the things that I really love about it is, on top of having like hundreds of design templates and being optimized for both beginners and experts. Uh, one of the things that, that that I find is really important is that content creators don't have to go through a translation phase between them and the website. You, you don't have to talk to a, a coder to say, well, can you just move this over here? Can you move that over there? Can you make change the color here? Can you change the CSS to blah, 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 blah? You don't have to do any of that. Yeah. I think even, you know, even related to something like WordPress, I mean, the problem with WordPress was always, oh, that's almost what I want, you know, and it's, it's like, but right. you couldn't just sort of nudge things around by a few pixels, you know, at some point you had to suddenly, you had to, there's just this huge gap between a template on WordPress and, yeah, where uh, you wanted to go, code, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you, there was no middle ground of saying, you know, I, I just want to tweak up things a little bit, where Squarespace really has that continuum where 
you can just take it as far as you want, but that sort of middle ground of just minor little tweaks, you know, beyond what the template has, it's just so much easier. Well, some, so. And people ask me, they, they say, why, you know, there's only, there's not as many templates as there are in, in WordPress. But the whole thing is, is that I, I the, the, the template really is just the starting point. And it's so easy to, you, you get the basic layout that you want. Uh, and, a, and the template, a lot of the templates are really great, but you get that basic piece like, oh, I want it to be, look kind of like this. And then, boom, you're just changing everything and moving it around. And I just doodle with it. You know, I doodle, I change a couple colors and move this stuff around and, and decide whether I like the way it looks. But as the content creator, I have that power now. I'm not sitting there sending notes, long lists of changes to a, um, to a coder uh, that then has to decipher what I really meant. Yeah, you know? so, and, that, and that, that's, that's great because that's kind of where I am with my blog. My blog is, is powered by WordPress. But again, it was a theme, a theme that I, I purchased from, what is it, graphpaperpress.com. and. Right. And but the theme was almost there, and of course I didn't want all the features that, or I didn't want the my theme to look like everybody else's. So I took that as a starting point, and I started tweaking. But I'm no CSS guy, and I don't want to be. So I hired somebody to go in and take, exactly. you know, and here's here's a Photoshop mockup of what I want the theme to look like, and then they executed it, you know, and then we went on. So. Yeah, so that's the that's what we get to avoid, you know. And so anyway, if people want to try out a free trial, it is free. You can go to squarespace.com/twip. Uh, that's T W I P. Squarespace.com slash twip. Um, you don't need a credit card. You just you can just try it out, build your own website. You you um, you can. Some people have also asked. You can you can uh, when you once you've paid for it. You can actually set up like twiplog.com. You know, we were able to just redirect the URL to what what, what is like twiplog.squarespace.com. You'll start with that, but you can always move that uh, at any point in time if you have your own URL. Uh, if you decide you want to purchase it, you're going to get 10% off if you enter the offer code twip, T-W-I-P. So go up to squarespace.com slash twip uh, and, uh, and just try it. Try it out. It, it is it's nifty. Watch the videos because they're they're actually really good, and then uh, and then give it a shot. It is just a great great uh, service, and we're really excited about it. So, um, what what else is in the news? Uh, also in the news, uh, Aperture. There's another cool plugin for Aperture from a company called Ubermind. Uh, it's a uh, it's a plugin that's called, <laughs> ironically enough, Mapperture. What do you think it does, Alex? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking, you know, in, in my in my education, uh, it is it is it has shown me how to cut words up into small pieces, and I would say that this has something to do with cartography, photography, <laughs> and mapping. Maybe, hmm, what could that yes. be? Yeah, so it's a cool it's a cool application slash plugin for Aperture that integrates with Google Maps and allows you to drop pins on the maps and associate the uh, the metadata with a particular photo that you know determines the x and y or the lat long of a photo and drop it on a map and then export that up. I presume to a service that can read that, like Flickr, etc. So I haven't played with it. Have you played with it at all, Alex or Ron? No, I was just looking at the uh, looking at the press release on it. It looks pretty. I mean, it looks like you upload it to like a Google Maps kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't know where the tags go back to your photos, but I think you know. It, I think it's awesome for you know you go on a trip somewhere and uh, take a bunch of photos, assuming you have. GPS devices tagging these things, or you manually tag them after the fact, I guess. Yeah. And they just have a little plot on the map of, you know, here's where I went and here's what we see. I mean, it's really interesting to me the kind of community that's coming out of this sort of thing where, you know, these days, any place on the planet, you can probably go find via maps a set of photos for that area. Yeah. And I think that's only going to increase more and more, you know, be able to really get a sense of what all is, is in any given location. 
Now, Alex, you travel a lot. Is one of the criterion for your next SLR that it have built-in GPS capabilities? Not built in, but I definitely need to know that I can interface with a GPS unit. So, um, which I believe that you can do with either the Canon or the Nikon. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, so which are the two? So, so I I do have to admit, for my next small camera, whenever I decide I need to move out of the LX3, which is what I have as my little pocket camera, mm-hmm. uh, I will definitely the the small camera. The requirement will definitely be built in GPS. I won't buy another um, yeah. pocket camera without GPS built in. Um, I I'm a little bit more. Uh, flexible uh, on this round. Uh, but I know that the next time I look at an SLR, you know, video and GPS will definitely be, you know, years from now. Um, uh, the GPS will definitely be the next next time. It'd be it's nice if they had, it'd be nice if they had GPS and and uh, cell tower slash Wi-Fi triangulation like the, the iPhone does. So if you're indoors and you're some building that it could still sort of get the location where you are instead of just going completely blank. Yeah, you know, and I think it would actually make a lot of sense for some of these locations to build, and I don't know how hard it would be. It's something I've thought about. We, when I was working on a film, uh, one of the things we got into is what, what they called LPS, uh, local positioning <laughs> system, uh, which was that they, had, they put markers in the, um, in the location that we were shooting so that they could get much more precise uh, ideas of exactly where the cameras were uh, specifically. Okay. And they, could, they were accurate within, um, within a couple of inches you know, of where the, where the cameras were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that allowed us to get general position of the cameras. Um, uh, we, tr- we wanted to get, we, we thought maybe we'd be able to eliminate, uh, eventually eliminate tracking or anything else. And that was not even near possible, but being able yeah, yeah. to just know where that is, is, was useful. But the idea is, is that, uh, one of the things I think would be really great is for malls, uh, museums and, and so on and so forth to build something that would basically have the phone think it's getting, and I don't know how, whether this is even possible, but have the phone think it's getting GPS, mm-hmm. you know, but what it's really getting is local signals that tell it, you know, all it needs to see is two or three of these local signals within a museum. You said, for you instance, said phone, but you said phone, but uh, I think you mean camera, but actually I'll, camera. I'll, uh, but uh, you know, I'll actually say, I, I suspect where this is going to end up going is, you know, it kind of goes back to this convergence of your, your, your phone or the iPhone as being just a general device is, you know, that could be keeping, can be keeping track of your location, and then if you just had a good Bluetooth connection back to your camera, that may be all you need. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think really instead of Absolutely. at some point instead of building all this crap into the camera, you just need to have a good network in your camera, mm-hmm. so that other devices yeah. can pick up the slack. And yeah. you know, if, if you do that, then you don't have to you don't have all that all this custom hardware in the camera. You just have a network device that can communicate and add, you know, tagged information as appropriate. The bottom line thing of, of all this stuff, though, is having a decent battery that's going to power, especially you're going you're gonna to crank up Bluetooth and have that running real-time communicating with your camera all day. You know, you're going to gonna need to have better battery technology because it'll die in the first, I don't know about your you guys' iPhone, but mine will die in the first, I don't know, four or five hours. It'll be, yeah. I'll be out of luck. So. That's why I have a Mophie. <laughs> oh, is that is that that little sleeve that goes on your phone and it gives it yeah, extra exactly. juice? Yeah, I, when, I, when I'm when I'm really pushing it hard like that, where I'm going to leave it on all the time, mm-hmm. uh, that's you know I, what I tend to use is the is the Mophie and uh, I just have it, a car battery in my backpack. <laughs> well, there's that <laughs> too. Nice, I mean, nice you know, car battery, stick it in the backpack. You know, a couple jumper cables going over the shoulder. There you go. I'm all set. There you yeah, go. It's, it's it's great. It's great when he when he, when he tries to go through uh through home uh, through uh you know TSA with the yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's the car battery. Speaking, Speaking of, of TSA, <laughs> there's, this, there's this article in here that we were, they were looking at before. Uh, there's this fake Department of Homeland Security photography license 
that uh, some guy posted online that, well, of course, we'll link to in the show notes. Looks very official. It's in point, it's in point, point. What's that? It's on Boing Boing. Oh, it's on Boing Boing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, and, it, and, uh, it looks but, it looks very official. But uh, I had a couple of issues with it, and I want to see where you where you guys fall on. It, would you take this badge out if you were getting a you know getting confronted by say security or even a police officer and say, hey, the Department of Homeland Security says I can take photos here because of this card? Look, would you would you actually you know, use it? So that, that, that's a that's a yeah, yeah. question. So if I if I would, I, would to I pull be... it out? And, well, if if it was some Yahoo who is a who is a security guard, I might I might pull it out. Uh, yeah, a police they... officer, absolutely. Not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would t- I would I would have nothing that looks like an official Homeland Security seal on, um, that I try to pull out because that is a federal that's a felony. And you know what I would do? I mean, I'm looking at this license, I think it's. I would pull it out and show it to a police officer or a federal person or whatever, but I would make some changes to this. I would take anything that says United States off of it. I would take anything that refers to any department in the United States. And I, at the top, instead of just exactly. saying, it would just say photography license, my name, you know, some, some information about me. And, you know, so, so if they looked you know, at you know it close, think, think- it's, there's nothing there other than, hey, this guy can take photos. You know, not, no, no hey, endorsement. You know, you- I think I think what we actually ought to do is, is create a TWIP license. Mm. Yeah, you know we, we could take. Uh, we could it, take it's take very true that just just some sort of organization, whether it's TWIP or whether there's just some you know National Photographers Organization, having something that just uh, admittedly is all it's saying is I'm a member of this organization, but it's probably enough to shut some some of these uh, you know random cops up. I would love to know yeah. if people would use that. If people could, can send Twitters or email us on Twiplog and let us know if you would, if we made a a downloadable file like this available for Twippers, would you actually download it and use it? And it looked very official. The idea is it would look just as official as this one. It just wouldn't say anything that would get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. It just yeah. If, if you look close <laughs> at it, if you look close at it, it's like, oh, this is this is BS, you know. But if you <laughs> from afar, it would look very official. Maybe you tatter it up a little bit so you've had it for like a year and it's real, you know. So part of it's acting. It's like exactly. you know, you got to be able to good, be a good actor. All right, well, moving along yeah. to the picks of the week. I hope all you guys have your, or both of you guys have your picks lined up. So we'll kick it off with Alex. Hey, so I finally, so <laughs> I talked about this. That was, yeah, I heard that. Okay, oh, this, crap in the background. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I have it. I have it. So, so the, this is the Odyssey of what we call the, the, the Gigapan Odyssey. So, um, so I bought a Gigapan in December while I was in Japan, thinking it would take a while to get there. And of course, it got there in a couple of days to the office. Yep. So then it sat at the office for weeks. While That's the I waited, one you, waited, is that the one you let me borrow? To, That's the one you let me borrow, right? Wait, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still working on the story here. Oh. So, so <laughs> it sat in the office for a couple of weeks, thinking I'll get to it. And then I was really, really busy. And so for two months, it just sat because it, you know, it looked kind of complicated. It was like, oh, I got to figure this out. And uh, and and I'm, I'm, I was busy, and so I didn't get to it. And so then, then Fred Frederick asked, asked, uh, he's like, can I borrow that gigabit? I was like, sure. Here, then you have to show me how to use it. So 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 then you borrowed it, and and how did it work for you? Uh, I don't know. I didn't get a chance. To <laughs> it sat on my desk. It sat on my desk. I went. You know, they have some really good tutorials on the site, but they're like they do. They they. It's like it, it's it was, prototype level kind of stuff. <laughs> so I was I, like, "Oh, this so is anyway, really so, cool." Go ahead. 
Okay, so so anyway, so it was it looked really cool, but when you look at it, it does look like a prototype, you know, kind of thing, and so you just kind of go, oh, this is gonna take a little while. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so Car- Carolyn Stamping, who works for us, um, she and shoots incredible photos. But she asked if she could borrow it, and so, uh, so she was here visiting from Canada, and so she she asked if she could borrow it, and uh, she took it out and she figured it out. She set it down. She went through it all. She figured the whole thing out, and then she handed, you know, she kind of handed it back to me, and, and we sat down for an afternoon, and or not an afternoon. Literally, it took her like fifteen minutes to show me what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, this is the coolest little item, especially for the price. <laughs> it's like two hundred fifty bucks. It is. I mean, it is amazing. So I put my little LX three in there, and um, and then you know, literally once you've got it kind of set up. Uh, which doesn't really take that long. I, I was being a wimp. And so once, uh, once you get it set up, you literally, you, you hit this little button and just, it turns over and you find the, the high, the, uh, you know, the high point that you want, the high right, you know, or high left point, mm-hmm. and then the low right point. So you just, you, you give it kind of the bounding box of what you want to shoot. And then you just tell, and it figures out everything else, like how many photos it's going to be required, all the stuff it has to do. You set your camera to manual. Uh, you make sure it's not going to change the focus or the aperture or whatever. And then you hit go, and boom, it just starts going, you know, it just starts shooting all, of the, just systematically shooting all of these. Then it's got a stitcher application that you drop it in, and you literally just show it the photos. And then it, it goes away and does whatever it's going to do, and boom, you have a huge pano. I mean, it is... It, 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 and there's nothing else for you to do. There's nothing else for you to figure out. Uh, it, I, and believe me, I have been in this kind of pano world of shooting this kind of stuff since, you know, 2000, uh, 1999, 2000. And, oh, my gosh, just I was like, I can't, you know, I can't even fathom the kind of pain that I went through. One of the coolest things so. about that engineering-wise, at least to me, was the fact that they – how they overcame the fact that the, the, the trigger or the shutter button on all cameras is in a different spot. So they have this little robotic yeah, finger <laughs> you just kind of put on and top. And, and you literally just, just, just kind of move it over until it's on top and then and push it down and, and tighten it a little bit and it's done. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. It's awesome. So anyway – it's the Gigapan. We'll have a link in the show notes. It is, uh, you know, if you want to shoot some panos, and this isn't, by the way, it's also if you want to shoot like a huge, I want to shoot just a huge photo. It doesn't have to be, you don't think about it just as being a 360 kind of thing. It is, I just want to shoot a really big photo of something really cool that I'm looking at. Um, you can do that as well. The, um, the other thing that, uh, you know, it, once you have it set up, the thing to know is that it's very easy just to fire it off again. So once you have it all set up, you can really put it in a little box and take it with you to on a trip to Yosemite or down the one or, you know, wherever you're at and just pull it out, set it up, hit go, uh, you know, have a tea uh, for a second and, and then and let it do its thing, yeah. you know, and it'll and it'll, when it's done, it'll be done. And so it's really it takes a little bit, probably 15, 20 minutes or maybe a half hour to get it set up. And then after that, it's just you just hit the button and it just does what it's supposed to do. You're able to stitch them all together. They're all lined up, uh, calibrated. It's just fantastic. They so need, anyway, they need to put a little voice. They should put a little voice at the beginning of it when you finish setting it up and right, you know, when you hit the shutter or the go button, it should say by your right. command. It's like you know, with the <laughs> with the Cylon voice. I want to hear by your command, and then it starts taking the photos. Yeah, that's cool. I I I just wanted to go beady beady beady. So anyway, oh god! Every time it shoots, just while it's shooting, it just goes beady beady beady, and then at the end, it just goes, "Hey, Buck." So we went from Battlestar Galactica of the what was it seventies to what was it? Uh, Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers, Rogers in the in the twenty first century. <laughs> Yep. Wow. Yeah. I think that show actually took place where we live right now. That's, uh, you know, in terms of time. 
we're supposed to be in yeah, ships exactly. flying around with little robots. Anyway, there's my robot. Anyway, speaking of robots, Ron, who had the Cylon voice a couple weeks ago, what <laughs> 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 was my segue to Ron? Excellent segue. What is my, your pick? Uh, my pick is uh, is a blog, a relatively new blog. There's actually this whole series of blogs uh, called scienceblogs.com. Uh, which is all kinds of great, just science geek-related uh, blogging going on. But they just started a, a a new one, probably a little over a month ago. That is scienceblogs.com/slash/photosynthesis, and it's effectively sort of a scientific approach to photography. So they have guest bloggers that come on. The first guy that came on was really into uh, macro photography of insects, and and, you know, and he's a scientist, so you know he had the pr- appropriate sort of information behind the scenes of. What he was taking these photos of, uh, what they are, uh, and you know the the photography aspects as well as the scientific aspects of it. So it's just pretty fascinating. Right now, there's uh, the the current guest blogger is Steve Jervitson, who's uh, actually a venture capitalist, but he's really into a hobby rocketry, and I you know I, I've followed some of his stuff in the past, and he gets into doing photography of his rocket shoots and also you know attaching cameras to the rockets as he launches them up into the stratosphere or however far up they go. Uh, so he, you know he's blogging right now, but scienceblogs.com/slash/photosynthesis, which I think is also just a great name for a photo/slash/science blog. Uh, check it out. Very cool. And my pick is uh, continuing in my theme of off-camera strobes, inspired by me reading and interviewing Joe McNally a couple of weeks ago. Is this Justin clamp? It's called. It's like. like it's hard to explain. It's a clamp that you attach a strobe to, like a SB900, 800, or whatever strobe you happen to have. Um, but you attach it to this thing, and then you can clamp it anywhere practically you want to. But not only can you clamp it, but you can attach it to a tripod, or you can attach it to a light stand. It's got sockets for those things on it. And the head where the tri- or where the flash attaches is this sort of multi-directional ball and socket joint so that you can pretty much position your flash in any orientation using this thing and it's kind of a it was kind of an eye-opener to me in terms of you know you're not really confined to the studio the big thing about shooting in other places is like okay i'm gonna use strobe but i'm gonna hold it in my hand or have somebody hold it for me or bring light stands to hold this thing up all you do is have have a couple of these in your bag and you can clamp your lights and put your lights pretty much wherever you want securely and then trigger them. If you're using, you know, one of the wireless uh, TTL systems on Canon or Nikon, then, you know, all you have to do is be relatively in line of sight and then boom, you're you're shooting these these really cool photos. I bought mine. I bought a couple of them from Amazon. They run, I think it was like 39 or 40 bucks each, but they're rugged. It's made out of steel and, and just all this rugged stuff so it's going to be in your your camera kit for you know several years to come so that is my pick you know what what this had me looking at is uh thinking about you know joby ought to make uh for the gorilla pod yeah they ought to make just a little thing that's in that has a that has the flash mount oh yeah but you know if if they just made another little ad that was like six dollars or something that you could just kind of slide in there that you could just then put flashes in then I mean that would be you know this is great um but that that's what it, when I saw it I was like oh that would be really cool on a gorilla pod yeah totally you know what you can I actually bought some of those things that you're talking about Alex um and really? they they cost like two dollars from Amazon.com just do a search for flash adapter or could, hot hot shoe adapter and they fit on the on the club? yeah they have a they have a threaded tripod oh, oh, oh you know the what they, they're threaded yeah perfect yep it's perfect. got a threaded tripod socket and a slot for your flash on top you stick it on there and you go. So. Mm-hmm. 
That's why it's so fun being I'm a photographer. There's so many little gadgets floating around. I, so I bought, much stuff I bought three of them, so I'll give you one, Alex. No, don't need to buy one. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and moving on to the photo assignment in the current poll. We're in week three of our personal space assignment. So if you haven't completed your photography, please do so. And uh, head over to twiplog.com to keep track of what's going on there. And also we've got our Flickr discussion and critique groups that continue in force. So please participate there as well. Last week's poll results. Uh, you want to take this one away? Say Ron and tell us. Sure. Uh, the question was, what form of computer system is behind your photo workflow? The choices were laptop, desktop, uh, combination of laptop and desktop. And it looks like it's running pretty close between laptop and desktop, a little bit more desktop. About 40% people have a desktop uh, as their primary workflow machine, but 38% are on the laptop. Uh, and then 21% have both. Um, you know, I end up using both. I'm surprised that number actually wasn't higher because uh, these days it seems like a lot of people I know have sort of concluded that they they need a laptop, but they also have a desk, desktop machine yep. sitting at home. But um, so yeah, those, that's the breakdown that we're seeing. Yeah, I've concluded that as well. <clears throat> I've been primarily MacBook Pro and sort of ferrying that around between work and home and you know, just plugging it in, and I haven't had a physical desktop machine in several years, but now I'm at the point now where it's, I need I need a desktop machine, and I think that desktop machine is probably going to be whatever the most powerful iMac that I can get is, because I don't think I need the horsepower like Alex does to, you know, do all that crazy stuff. I just need a big screen and reasonable horsepower to run my photo management application and Photoshop and all that stuff, so how do you... I like, how, you know, I, 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 monitor. Go ahead. I, I got spoiled by having a 30-inch monitor oh. uh, when I went to Apple, so I had to buy one of those when I left, and that's uh, that's kind of the basis of everything for me. I need uh, to be able to plug a 30-inch monitor into it. So you're using a Mac Pro 30-inch monitor. It's maxed yeah. out on RAM. Got a big RAID inside yeah. of it. Drobo. Well, I mean, you know, I, yeah, I bought everything when I you know when I knew I was going to be uh, finishing up at Apple. I went ahead and executed on my <laughs> employee discount, so I bought a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, Alex, what's your what's your normal setup? My normal setup. We we have a lot of desktop machines here, but I don't actually use any of them. Um, so uh, that the, the other guys get to use those. No, so I mostly have a Mac Pro, a MacBook Pro. And uh, my setup is mostly, I mean, I have to admit, 90% of my time is just sitting in front of my MacBook Pro. Yep. The, uh, the only time that I have an external monitor, which I really like, so I'm, I'm thinking of doing this in all the locations that I'm at, is that Leo, um, Leo kind of carved out a little space for me at the Twit Cottage. And so uh, in my little space, he, he got me one of those 24-inch, the new 24-inch monitors. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's got the little, um, you know, the power adapter, USB display port, you know, you just kind of pop it into the side. And what is great about it is I just have the laptop closed. I just plug the monitor in and the laptop just wakes up, sets me up and I'm in my environment. And yep. it is much nicer to be using that. And um, and so so I like, you know, I like working over there because I have that monitor and I keep on, you know, get planning to do that. And I just don't get around to it. And you, you can see how long it took me to get a camera. Um, but I, and I even know what monitor I want. So. Uh, so I think that that's kind of going to continue to be my space. I am considering getting to some point where I have a big honking system at the, you know, at home, and then I go to like a uh, a MacBook Air, you know, th that I carry around. Then I'm just kind of kind of separate those two worlds. Like never expect to do a lot of work uh, on the road. Right now that hasn't been possible, but a lot of times now I'm traveling a lot and I'm just playing back. When I do talks, most of my talks now I'm doing. Um, through Keynote. So I'm not really, 
you know, I'm not pushing my computer very hard. And, I, and I'm, I've been really starting to consider just separating that out so that when I'm in the field, I have something super light. Uh, and when I'm at home, I have something really beefy. And, you know, and then, and then the other thing that I'm really looking at is moving most of my real work off of my laptop so that it's on. Um, so all of my uh, photo files, uh, my, you know, all of that stuff, except for like basic music, and a couple movies that I want to watch while I'm traveling. Everything goes onto an external um, uh, drive. So that's, I'm in this process right now. By the end of the month, that'll all be kind of set up. And then my internal drive is really just my applications, scratch stuff. I'm, moving, I'm going to change my internal drive to SSID. Mm. Is that right? SSID? Excellent. SSD. SSD. And, and um, SSD, not SSID. That's, a, that's our uh, airport, right? So, the, um, uh, so SSD. So I'm going to move to these, uh, for, you know, probably a, a 256, maybe a 512. Um, I think it's a 512 or 320 or whatever, and and there's, swap there's that out on my laptop. There's a 512, but it's over at yeah, so grand. I saw it. I thought I found it somewhere for like six or seven hundred dollars. I was like, oh, I could probably do that. Yeah. Anyway, so, so the, the idea is don't know that the SSD is a solid state drive, so lightning fast, uh, no spin up time. It is so know. like watching Leo's watching Leo's uh, laptop come up. I was like, okay, I need one of those. And so, so part of it was is I'm going to empty the computer out so that I don't have a lot of so I don't feel like I have to need to keep everything because the SSD drive is going to be a lot, you know, it's going to be smaller than what I have right now. So the idea is to move, and it's actually a lot safer when I lose my laptop. The idea is that I don't, you know, have a that sinking feeling in my stomach that um, that I lost everything. Yeah. So so I want to kind of keep I want to kind of build a pipeline around not having you know, checking stuff in and out of a home environment and not carrying everything that I want around on my laptop because it's just easy to get lazy. It's easy to have my laptop have, like what I realized, I almost lost my laptop at NAB. I, I left it at a party. <laughs> I may or may not have had a little too much to drink. And um, and so I, uh, I left it at a party. Fortunately, it was someone, I, it, was, it was a peach pit party and they, they uh, it was still there the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> they were still partying. So, uh, <laughs> No, 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 no. It was it was at a suite, so someone was staying there. It wasn't like at a random place because otherwise my laptop would have been gone, and like five drives and my camera and everything. And, you know, people just I know I shouldn't say this on the show because then people are gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get um, tweets for na- from now on going. I'm just gonna follow you around at NAB to see if you leave something. And so, uh, so I I I, I didn't figure out that I uh, misplaced it until the next day when I woke up and I was like, where's my laptop? And um, so uh, so anyway. Uh, that's really what got me to, to realize that there were some photos on there of my son. Not, not a lot of them. Most of them are backed up. But there was a handful of photos that I'd just taken that were on my laptop. And I was like, you know, that kind of stuff should never happen. Yeah. That the only place that they live is on my laptop. And so, so um, uh, and I keep most of that stuff on a Drobo. I have a Drobo that is all my personal stuff. Um, but until I, ch- what I want to do is, is force myself to that I don't keep it on my laptop. I keep it over there. You know, I keep it, you know, um, I, I travel around with like C rugged drives and, and that has the data that I need. And then I have a Drobo that keeps all the important stuff. And that's kind of where I'm trying to get to uh, with mine. You need to get so yourself a, some uh, cloud backup too. I'm going to, I'm going to be using, um, I'm going to use your cloud backup. No, no, that's, that's the, uh, the, the Drobo's, um, Anyway, the Drobos talk to each other. I have two Drobos that talk to each other. But, yeah, but I'm just uh, saying, I'm if, you've got, if you've got stuff on your laptop, if you're working on your laptop, you need to have something that is constantly squirting yeah. that up to the cloud which, every time what, you're connected you, to a network. Which one are you using? I mean, I'm, I love Backblaze. You know, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that Backblaze is the one that, I'm, that I've been mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have never had a problem with it. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. I don't even think about it anymore. It just sits in the background. And, you know, it's. I mean, the whole point of it is 
uh, whenever there's idle time, it, it does a backup. And so, you know, once you've got the whole thing up on the cloud, yeah. then, you know, I'll, I'll edit a Word document and, you know, 10 minutes later, it's up on the cloud as well. So, you know, I can get hit by lightning. Uh, and as long as it's not within that start- 10 minute window, I'm okay. Yeah, that's another reason. And I can start doing that, it from the that, office. That's another reason why I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm. I think my my overall setup is moving sort of in a different direction than yours, Alex. Because uh, I've been portable in doing what you're doing, and in, in fact, I'm doing it right now. I've got my uh, my MacBook right. Pro plugged into a display, and I do the same thing at Data Robotics when I get there. And yeah, I always have all my stuff with me, so there's no synchronization issues. And oh crap, that application is at home, or none of that stuff. I, everything is always where I need it to be. But what I'm finding is, from a photographer standpoint. I want a workstation. I need I need a place where I've got horsepower, all my files, all my raw files, everything is just sort of there. And if I feel like going to spend two hours working on a photo, I can go sit down and have the horsepower and just work on it and leave it and then come back a day later and pick up where I was without having all this other stuff going on. So I want to I just want a straight workstation, an iMac, that doesn't have all the other stuff that I need because my main brain will be the MacBook Pro, but the workstation stuff, just the dumb stuff that that kind of like the computer lab type machine will be an iMac. So it's yeah, I think you're going to want a Mac. What's that? I think you're going to want a Mac Pro. You think we'll, so? We'll, just... well, here's the, I, we're, we're going to be testing the new NVIDIA um, uh, card, the Pro card, Yeah, which is like the cost of an iMac. But uh, but I'm guessing that that's going to accelerate things a lot. So we're going to check that out. Anyway, uh, I know we've just moved into a whole dif- yes. different show, but yes, I think that this, did. you know, storage though I think is a huge deal for media for people who are shooting photos. I mean, we're all shooting digitally, or a lot of us are shooting digitally. And even if you're shooting analog and you're scanning them, you're still ending up with a lot of data. So I think this is an important thing to continue to, you know, continue to touch on every once in a while. So yeah. hopefully our listeners uh, understand our. Our concern of taking care of them. Well, let's sure they, let's uh, yeah. let's move on and take a couple of listener questions. Speaking of listeners, thanks for that segue again, Alex. Um, the first one is <laughs> is uh, I think this one's for you, Ron. It's about a uh, using a telescope with a camera. Yeah, this is from listener Chris Matthews, and he just says, "Curious about use of a telescope on a camera." He, uh, quickie question: The monster twelve hundred millimeter Canon lens sure looks like a huge telescope. So what would be the problem of using the telescope instead? Uh, controlling of aperture may be a problem. Is that not possible with an adapter? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of possible, but they are custom-built devices, and they do sort of have different issues. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the aperture control is certainly part of it. I mean, the telescope is not generally designed to, or I know, have really a controllable aperture in there. You shoot as wide open as possible because you want to be gathering as much light as possible. And... You know, you're not using a telescope typically to focus up close. It's all about focusing at infinity, probably. So I certainly have seen uh, adapters that will let you hook a telescope up to uh, an SLR. And, you know, for the, for the limited uh, functionality, I mean, the, for, the, for the compromise in functionality, I guess I should say, it's probably a reasonable thing to do if you've already got a telescope. And, you know, you can get a cheapy telescope and just have it as a fun sort of thing. But don't expect ultra high quality images out of it you know there's i mean i think even stuff like vignetting every time i've ever seen a telescope hooked up to a camera there's pretty noticeable vignetting because again it's something that you don't care about as much on a uh, on a telescope i think and, and it's and it's like anything else you know you can spend uh, as little or as much as you want to and, and the more you spend the better you get but you know it, it's probably a fun idea but i wouldn't ex- i wouldn't plan to buy a telescope and go out in the field and do wildlife photography 
with it, put it that way. Well, and also, if, if you're looking at doing this because you want to save money, I mean, you know, you'll get what you pay for. I mean, there's exactly. the reason you're paying a lot of money for 1200 millimeter Canon lens is because of the amount of uh, cost in the, in the optics to make sure that that looks as beautiful as possible. And Alex, there's another question in here with your name on it. Uh, listener yes. Andrew Ridge wants to know your thoughts on the merging of photography and CGI. So the the question here is that he said um, he said an interesting topic of discussion at the moment is to is to what photography is uh, to what extent photography is merging with computer generated imagery. My career has brought me via an architectural visualization practice where photographs are used, uh, uh, had been camera matched to CGI. Uh, I know an automotive photographer who has lost clients to CGI companies and the advent of Google Earth uh, 5.0. How much will clients and consumers want to contrive images rather than capture them? Uh, regarding uh, product photography, CGI would eliminate the need for shipping products to a studio and the expense of reshoots. It seems... Uh, that compared to CGI, video is a mere distraction for the future for the future's photographers. Uh, so anyway, so here's here's my take on it uh, on that question. I think it's a great great question, and uh, I think that if you're a product photographer, uh, uh, I think that you do have something to uh, be concerned about. Now, when you look at being able to import 3D models directly into Photoshop, uh, you know those are the types of things when we see that merging happening. Uh, I know. Uh, right now, when we, I just had to, for instance, uh, insert a uh, Mac laptop into a product that we were doing, and I did not shoot my Mac laptop. I spent $130 on TurboSquid to download a 3D model of a Mac laptop so that I could relight it, move it around, make sure that it matches the lighting that I had. And it looks just like the real thing. I mean, I put the little stickers that were on, on the original laptop. I had to do all those things, and, and, and it was much easier for me to just uh, render it uh, than to shoot it. So I, I totally see what you're talking about. If you're talking about product photography, uh, that's an area where 3D is encroaching very, very quickly. And it just, as the, as the rendering gets faster, as the quality of the render improves, as all of those things happen, it doesn't make as much sense. Now, a lot of photography, though, is not that. A lot of the photography is people. And that's not going to, I don't think that's going to change uh, anytime soon. When you look at really popular uh, stuff on iStock Photo, for instance. And by the way, I think iStock Photo, I think I've said this before. I think iStock Photo should start selling. They're selling audio and video and, and stills. I think that they, they uh, are missing a huge opportunity by not putting in, uh, you know, starting to distribute 3D models. I think that it's something that would make a lot of sense uh, because I'd love to pay, you know, $10 instead of $130. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I mean, I'll pay $50, you know, it's, you know and, and the 130 by the way, is cheap. You know, to pay $130 for a great laptop, uh, if you look at the, t the cost of a photo shoot, you know, or the cost of my time to sit down and try to figure out the right angle and, and everything else, uh, it, it is just, it, 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 the, the math was just there to go and buy it. And um, someone put a lot of time into it, and it looks beautiful, and I can get right close up to it, and all those other pieces, and I can animate it and do all those other, you know, all of that stuff. So, so I think that uh, that, is a, that is a valid uh, when it comes to product stuff, when it comes to architectural to some degree, um, but that is much harder because there's a lot more detail oftentimes. Um, yeah, but and, I think uh, now, go ahead. I was going to say, I, yeah, I, I definitely 
can see this happening more and more and more. It kind of depends on where what's what's to, where it's coming from. You know, does the model exist or not? Because obviously, if you have to factor in building the CG model and creating it and all that, then then the cost is not right. the cost benefit is not there. But if it already exists, and the thing is, for most of these products, you know, somewhere in the development phase, the it was done in 3D and the textures were applied. So somebody has already done this. So what that kind of means and is that they'll give it to- yeah, either they'll oh. give it to you or you know some of this stays in house and and rather than hire a photographer to go off and shoot something that's been manufactured they just get back to the design guys and say all right we need to we need to generate uh, the proper images based on the work you did uh, i know that you know for these days if you watch a car commercial you would just be blown away by how few of those car commercials really contain cars versus cg <laughs> versions of it yeah i mean it, you know it's uh, i don't know what it's the almost is, all- willing to i mean it's yeah, it's, but- it's like it- other than the local commercials, I mean, the national commercials, it is like 80%. You know, yeah, 75 I, to 80% are, yep, are CD cars. So yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's just, it's just the practicality of it that, you know, you're wanting to do. I mean, a big involved car shoot is such a, such a pain. I've, I've been on them, and it's, you know, you start to think about it, and you've got this giant, shiny object that you're trying to sit in the middle of a stage uh, and not show the reflection of the camera. That right there is worth doing it in CG just because it can save you hours of trying to set stuff up. So. Right. You know, for, if you're good at it, I, by know. the way, you can if if you're uh, if you watch these commercials really closely, one of the things you'll notice is the car will be spinning around and doing all this crazy stuff. And then if you really watch it when it edits, when the person gets out and shuts the door, most of the time that car looks just a little different than the one that was just doing the other Not stuff. Why it is perfect and shiny and clean? Yeah, yeah. I I think that there's a really interesting question with this about where does this go with. Um, people that are effectively commodities, like, you know, especially models. Because you look at a model shoot right now, a fashion shoot or something, and, uh, you know, so much retouching is done after the fact anyway. At some point, and I give it less than 10 years, it wouldn't surprise me if you start seeing the same thing happen with fashion photography that you're seeing with cars, where they just realize that rather than hire, you know, a a model to come in and pose for a shot and then go in and just retouch the, the, the heck out of it anyway... You can just build the idealized CG human and start using that, and we're not there yet, but I bet we're pretty close. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I don't think we're far away from that. So yeah, it's but I think that there's a lot of things that you know. It, it, once again, it's a cost issue. Uh, is you know, humans are going to get a lot more expensive, so that'll we'll see that probably trickle down. It'll it'll probably trickle into the middle. At the bottom, they'd rather take photos. At the top, they probably rather have specific looks. Um, but in the middle, there's going to be you know people who just want people that look relatively real. And we're really to the point where we, you know, with subsurface scattering, with a lot of the other technologies that are out there, that we can really create something that, you know, you can't tell the difference, even close yep. up. Yep. You know, so, so it's, so I, I do think that this is going to affect photography, but there are so many places where it just doesn't work to try to reproduce it in 3D, especially when you have a one-off, it's complex, or you want it to look, you know, it's part of an environment. Um, you know, it will take time. Um, yeah, but I that, that's really it. Product- it's, it's, yeah. It's still a it's still a cost trade off, and it's not you do have to factor. It's not like the CG is free, so there there is a significant right. cost of building it up front. But you know if if you've, you've already amortized that from some other fashion, or you're, you're going to be doing, uh, you know, five year campaign or something using the same same objects, then clearly it's going to make a lot of sense to do it, pieces of it in CG. Or once again, if, if it's already built, because a lot of times in, in ID, you know, in, in industrial design, that stuff has already been built as a solid works, typically. And it, once you have it, I mean, it's just a lot cheaper. Well, 
Um, uh, yeah, I'm just listening to you guys go back and forth playing tennis here. Geeked out. <laughs> Geeking out. Uh, but I wanted to take a second here to uh, introduce our guest that, uh, that I didn't introduce before. Her name is Sarah France, and she is a uh, photographer down in Southern California, and she took time to sit down with me virtually over Skype and and talk a little bit about her workflow, how things are going in her business in the in this economy, how she's using Aperture to get her work done faster, quicker, better, and also how she's using some interesting back-end uh, software, online software to manage her business. So with that, Sarah France. Okay, I'm here with Sarah France of Sarah France Photography. She is a Southern California-based wedding photographer who also does a lot of teaching and instruction on the topic of photography and business and all that kind of stuff. Hey, Sarah, thanks for coming on This Week in Photography. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. So let's, let's, let's start it off with uh, you and I go way back. We're, we're great friends, and I know that you have a gigantic following of people on Facebook and Twitter and all these other places. Before we get into the photography stuff, I want to talk about the social networking stuff and how you're able to draw all these people in or why are you such a geek magnet? <laughs> well, I think that the most important thing that kind of comes from social networking is um, being accessible through them, but also just um, being real and giving valid information and inspiration and education to the people that are following you. So I think that's kind of how it builds. I mean, I see the amount of people continuing to follow me and I I can't um, say it doesn't surprise me <laughs> consistently. <laughs> and I, I'm always kind of um, blown away at how Twitter and Facebook um, how they work and connect people. So I, I love it. I mean, um, it really just allows me to connect with people all over the country and all over the world. And now as a wedding shooter, are you using Facebook as part of your marketing mix? Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge tool, not only for connecting with photographers with all the things that you're doing in the industry, but also with connecting with clients. So one of the things that we've done is just go through and find um, and connect with all of our clients through Facebook if they have a Facebook account. Make sure and upload some photos from their wedding engagement and tag them on those photos. And just being able to share your images, um, not only through your site, but through your clients. It's a, it's a great way to connect with their friends. And, and what about Twitter? You know, a lot of people say Twitter is just a noise and an inconvenience, but we've got people like Ashton Kutcher and Oprah Winfrey now Twittering. Does, how does Twitter relate to the, to the photographer? Well, I think the big philosophy that kind of comes around Twitter is people go, well, why do I want to know what you're doing right now? Mm -hmm. um, and I think they're kind of missing the point of what Twitter has evolved to, at least. Some people still use it for that, but what we're really looking at Twitter being nowadays is a way to m get information out on a, in a mass level and a way to get information from people that you feel like are valid to you. And um, I know I've I follow you, and I'm 
always making sure I check what it is that you say because I feel like there are so many little nuggets of gold that come out of your Twitters. And that's what I try and do as well is not only like say what's going on and give some entertainment and some a peek into my life, but also give um, a really great website that I found or a really great resource or a tip on how to use Opture better or information about our bags or different things that we are using it for to give them valid information for photographers who are following me. Now, now you, you mentioned Aperture, so I want to talk about that a little bit. So you, you use Aperture for your entire workflow from importing all the way through to book creation, correct? So, yes. so talk a little bit about how, don't, don't go through your workflow, but talk a, a little bit about how you're using Aperture and why you selected that application to sort of run the back end on your business. So the biggest thing for me is that um, Apple is the core of our studio and all of our computers are Apple computers and Aperture being so integrated into that into that product has been a huge advantage for us. So that was really a big push for me when looking at Aperture. The adjustments were phenomenal straight out of the camera. If you import images in, just the adjustment that Aperture automatically applies is is incredible plus you're able to fine-tune and do adjustments but being able to really live my whole image life um, from Aperture was a big piece of it for me and being able to do the book design in there and um, being able to have all of my images stored in the catalog but also it working with uh, Photoshop and being able to bring it into Photoshop and bring it back into Aperture and for Aperture to be able to handle that round trip for me. So all of those little things add up to making life a whole lot easier for us in the studio and uh, really having a central core and a place and an organizational structure that makes sense to us. Yeah. It is like anything else that we have that is Apple. Um, it, it's smart and intuitive, and they've done an incredible job on the software. So I'm happy to have it uh, as a part of our of our Apple integration into our studio. So then that's that's the workflow piece of it. What about the soup, you know, the 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 nuts of the the, the soup to nuts piece of your business like in terms of the business back end and managing clients and all that stuff. What do, how do you manage that and how do you keep track of everything? Cuz you're a relatively busy studio. And right. Yeah, how do, how do you do that? So we've we've a couple pieces of um of software, I guess, not necessarily, web-based software that help us with that. So I have uh, ShootQ, which is our new studio management software that we use consistently. It handles our clients from inquiry. It handles all of our, our emails um, out to clients and tracking what's going on with them. It also handles credit card processing. It gives them a back end to be able to see what's going on with uh, the products that are in their package, they can sign their contract, they can update their contact info. So it's got this gateway between them and us as well. Um, that has really helped us to run our studio efficiently and um, it gives me a list of what I need to do every day and also my studio manager and everyone else. So that has really helped as well. And then we're able to stay um, connected, like you had mentioned, Aperture and one of the things that 
I didn't mention are some of the plugins and stuff. And we were talking about Facebook. Yeah. I have to tell you, <laughs> I just came up in my mind, but After has this plugin with Facebook that I'm in love with that you can just upload the images, tag them right within After. I'm sure other softwares have it. I've just uh, been playing with it a lot lately, and I'm pretty excited about how how all of these things are integrating together. Yeah, it's interesting because Apple came out with the, the latest version of iPhoto, which has some really tight integration with Facebook, even down to the level of the facial recognition stuff. So when you tag a face in iPhoto and upload a picture with the face tagged to, I, to, uh, to Facebook, that, main, that tag maintains. And if someone takes that photo and tags another person in it online, one of your friends, that tag comes back down into iPhoto. And then you can then search on that person. So if, if there was a photo of me up there that had a photo that, that someone had tagged me in and that came back down into your iPhoto library, you can click on that and search for all the photos of Frederick in your photo library. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Those pieces of integration are just going to be huge when it comes to organization and structure um, in our Apple world, in our Facebook world, and how they're all going to be talking to each other and are already, obviously. Yeah. So <laughs> switching gears to economy. So yeah. you're, again, like we said before, you, you shoot, uh, how many weddings do you shoot a year on average, uh, do you think? On average, about 25 and how has that changed with the the whole economic downturn, recession, whatever you want to call it? It hasn't really changed for us. It definitely structured our year a little bit differently. Um, and I'm sure it's hit everybody a, a little bit differently. But in the first part of the year, people were just kind of like holding their breath. <laughs> and the clients were as well. They were kind of like, what's going to happen? You know, should we get married this year? Should we wait till next year? And um, a, pro a few months ago, they just kind of, went, okay, we should get married this year. So um, it, it was quiet the first part of the year and everything just kind of rushed in a couple months ago. So it changed the structure of the first part of our year a little bit. But um, I have to say it was kind of nice. Uh, I didn't mind the quiet. We were working on the Aperture Training DVD and I had a bunch of other stuff going on. So um, it it worked out nicely for us. I think is affecting and and having a different effect on everybody. And the conversations are consistently at every social event that I go to. How, how are you doing? How's the economy been? And I think in our industry, um, it is going to get rid of some competition. That's yeah. one of the things that it's going to do. Um, but it's also bringing in a lot of the lower end competition is getting flooded because um, a lot of people are losing their jobs and picking up their cameras yeah. as income. So um, just really trying to survive, I think, you know. So we've seen it, or at least it feels like a huge influx in the in the low-end um, area of the industry. Uh, but the high-end area feels like it is thinning out a little. Um, not that I see people, like, dropping off. It just... Uh, it, it's not people I see. It's just what I'm hearing from clients. Like the high end is is pretty tight. Like we definitely have have honed it down to you know th the core people and the coordinators and everybody is is really in tune to who is going to be around yeah. for the long haul. You know, so kind of a shakeout and a, a little Darwinism going on there with the yes. survival of the fittest kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it. Yeah. 
So what's next for Sarah France Photography? What are, how are you guys innovating and, and, and pushing forward? Well, we're definitely looking at video. We shot some video on the uh, wet, wedding we did a couple weeks ago um, and working on that. And our clients are asking about it. They all know about the 5D Mark II. So um, I don't think anybody's surprised about that. Um, and this year, I've been doing some more training and, and trying to really help educate the industry a little bit more and, and working on that. Of course, we still have... Um, I have a lot of different projects. If you're asking about what Sarah France Photography is doing, it might be different from what Sarah France is doing. So um, we just have a lot of really great things going on in the in the photography industry. I have an associate photographer now, which is really um, helping with those clients who maybe were reaching to get us. And with the economy, they're needing a little bit better price range. We've got kind of the answer for that as well. And with me, myself, I mean, we're, we're going strong with Gobi Bags, and that's been a really um, a well, great... What is, what is Gobi Bags? <laughs> um, Gobi Bags is a high-end leather CF card holder um, for those people who feel it is just as important to um, look the part as it is to, to be the, the great photographer and have the gear that um that fits it we are trying to look nice and present ourselves really well uh, at a wedding and we needed a functional <laughs> but attractive piece of equipment so <laughs> hey that's what that's how i describe myself <laughs> oh <laughs> we'll just leave that right there okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cool so where where are goby bags um, you can find them at gobybags.com, and we are going to be at WPPI. We were last year, and we're looking at some other conventions and stuff that are happening. We may be out at PhotoPlus. We haven't quite decided on that yet, but you can always find us online. That's always e the easiest. Very cool. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Of course. Thank you again for having me. You're welcome. And where, where can people find you if they want to learn more about Sarah France or become one of your huge geek magnet followers? <laughs> well, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm Sarah France and Facebook, of course. But um, my website is sarahfrance.com and my blog. Please uh, leave a comment and come and hang out there. It's whereintheworldisfrance.com. Very cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Thank you. And uh, I guess it's time to what, Alex? What do we do with the lens cap, Alex? Ah, uh, you take it off. Get out there. <laughs> you take it off. 